Do you like scary movies? <laughs> well, you're in the right place listening to the Launchpad podcast. <laughs> Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And guys, last week we had an amazing conversation. We were talking about the first Scream movie, and Matt surprised me with a phone call from Ghostface (laughs) himself, voice actor Roger Jackson. And today we are continuing our conversation with him. I I mean, I'm so excited about this, man. This is so much fun. We're talking about a movie, well, multiple movies, a franchise, and also horror in general, but we're talking about a franchise that we love. With a person that not only we respect, but had like a significant impact on not only that specific movie, but like helped revitalize horror in general. This is continuing the conversation we had. We pre-recorded this. It was it was just we just sat down, chatted with him for about an hour and a half. It was awesome. So this is the continuing conversation from our first episode. And after we talk to Roger Jackson, we are going to continue talking about the Scream series with part two, three, four, and the TV show, which I happen to work on. Yeah, I know you guys are really, really hoping that we would do an in-depth review of three. So stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's our continuing conversation with Ghostface Roger Jackson. For this this franchise that had a, a big whodunit aspect, because you're playing the killer, did you ever know who the killers were no, beforehand? not once. No. No. So you didn't even know which character you're yeah, trying that's to hard like, for you. make that would a make voice. Sure I never harder. even saw a complete script. I was always only given the scenes that I was doing. So Wow. That's interesting. But because I knew, like, beginning with the second film, that it, that it was not the same characters again, I'd try to modulate it somewhat so that he's not, so that he's, the ghost face is a little different, but he's also the same. He's the same character, but maybe has some different motivations somewhere hidden right. in there. Like sometimes it can be very suave and sometimes it's just straight, straight brutal. And, you know, it's, I kept thinking about uh, Sean Connery, my, my favorite James Bond. Though, though yeah. believe me, Daniel Craig is excellent. There have been good Bonds, but he was, I, I enjoy Sean Connery the most, not just because he was my first Bond, but... Because he played with the role. He changed it up from movie to movie. He played with Bond's character. Like in Goldfinger, he's the voice of healthy, normal sexuality, as it were. Whereas Goldfinger is the pervert, the narcissist. But Mm. then in Thunderball, he plays him as a kind of jerk. Like he basically blackmails and takes advantage of the nurse in the spa he's at. And when he's, when he's yes. leaving her, he, as he's walking out the door, he goes, see you later. And he closes the door and says, alligator. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he, he, That's a pretty good show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I've used it several times. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but, you know, he play, his bond is kind of a jerk in that film. But then, yeah. you know, I'm sure that 
Connery had to talk about that with the directors, and, but he made Bond interesting. Well, it gave him something to play with, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this as far as interesting characters. Aaron and I recently did an episode where we talked about what we called legacy monsters or legacy characters in a horror film where, you know, you go back into the 30s and you have the Hunchback and you have uh, Invisible Man and Frankenstein and Dracula, <laughs> all the universal stable. Yeah. Then you get, uh, in the 80s, you start to have a whole new breed where you have your Freddies and your Jasons, or even the 70s, your Freddies, your Jasons, and your Michael Myers. And we started to get hard-pressed once we got to the 90s. We said maybe Candyman would count. And we think Ghostface is really the only... Ghostface and maybe Chucky, but I guess that's the 80s as well. Ghostface, I think, is the strongest and at least the best example of what we would consider like a legacy monster or a legacy killer. For, I guess, first, do you agree with us? And if you do, what do you think makes specifically that character, or I guess really it's characters, but what makes them them lasting in, you know, pop culture? Well, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> let me see. Um, again, I think the, the appeal of Ghostface is that it could be anybody. And as I say, it could be you. If you're, if you give in to certain things. That's, as you say, it's like, uh, he's sort of like <laughs> the Batman of villains. He doesn't have superpowers, but, but, yeah, okay, but he yeah. is a dark force to be reckoned with. I answered my door today when Matt knocked on it. He <laughs> jumped out in the scream mask. I had a mask and gloves and a knife and got, a black shirt Got on. me good. <laughs> I, I thought it was a throwaway. I thought you were going to either look through the, the thing or just laugh, but I, I got you pretty good. Nope, just straight up we opened it. We got a pretty it. good history of me scaring you. I won't get into that on this episode, <laughs> but... <laughs> um. So, it, Matt mentioned that you were a fan of horror. What other horror characters or, or horror movies uh, appeal to you? What have you been... Uh, well, oh boy, there. Uh, how much time have you got? Uh, <laughs> I, tell you, I, I, really, I told you before we're not going to kick you off I tell you um, God there's so many the two that usually come to mind I like horror that's leavened with humor you, you know okay. like uh, Joe Dante the brilliant Joe Dante the howling mm -hmm. the first howling is, is yeah, one of great. my favorites funny and really scary and and I love all the trivia and crap in there like the doctor's name is Dr. Wagner, and there was the 19th century Penny Dreadful uh, character, Wagner the Werewolf. Wow. <laughs> and you see, when the two reporters are at home in bed, and Dee Wallace calls them, they're watching the Three Little Pigs Disney cartoon, on, and there's the big bad wolf, and, and next right, to the right bed on. is a copy of Howl by Ginsburg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I never noticed those little touches. It's definitely, and that's Joe Dante all over the place. Yeah. It's a real clever movie. I think, sadly, it, it kind of gets eclipsed by some of the other movies that were coming out at the time, specifically yeah. another werewolf movie kind of overshadows but was, it. Robert, I think you're right. It Robert is in, Picardo as Eddie is so scary. Absolutely. He's such a... Even yeah. before he turns into the werewolf, he's Yeah, terrifying. that's because he's a great actor, Robert Picardo. I mean, you've seen him in so many things. A lot of times under under a suit but uh, the fearless vampire killers is another great film i like oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's got just a fantastic music score <laughs> i love that picture you like a little comedy in your heart yeah, i huh? do well i tell you movies that are really horror movies that aren't billed as hard like um night of the hunter classic we're, we're big fans of that yeah we were we were talking about that the other day it's a fairy tale 
But fairy tales are really very dark in their mm-hmm. original. You know, I used to uh, read stories to second grade class here in the area where I live. As Ghostface? No, just I'd go, you know, because <laughs> I saw a thing on, on television that was sent talking about how teachers, they're, they're paid next to nothing. And at that time, teachers were having to start buying their own classroom supplies buy their own yeah, books for the kids. It's worse now than it was yeah. then. But I thought, well, is there some way I could help this? So I went and volunteered at the local school to read stories to the kids. And one teacher took me up on it. And so I'd go every week and read stories. The kids are the greatest audience in the world because they're absolutely honest. If you if they like you, <laughs> they let you know. And if you suck, they tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Did the teacher know what you had, know your resume at that point? Or, no. or was it just based on, oh, and it was this just, guy wants to read to kids. That's nice. Yeah. And I, you know, wow. I, being a, a, an artist, I made a flyer, looked very professional. You know. but anyway, I was surprised that so many of the kids had never heard the original versions of fairy tales. All, mm, all they knew yeah. were the Disneyized versions. Or right. right. But Night of the Hunter is very definitely a dark, grim fairy tale. And it's... That's interesting. <laughs> Robert Mitchum is so dark, and yet you, you know him. You know that guy. Yeah. The film is laced with comic relief, like uh, the, the wife of the couple who owned the ice cream parlor. The ice cream and parlor, I, I, yeah, I love it. Great. She says to her, to her, she's talking with Shelley Winters and her husband's going... I don't see why a man needs that. It's just terrible. When I, when my husband has to do that, I just lie back and think about my canning. <laughs> <laughs> I love the kid's drunk boat uncle. The guy, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, a fun James, James Gleason. He's a classic yeah. actor, a great Hollywood actor. You've seen him in everything from The Bishop's Wife to Meet John Doe. I mean, he was a a stable actor. He's a great device in that movie, too, because he's the one thing that that kid, the, the boy, kind of trusts in, like, you know, adult world. It's the one thing that he clings to and thinks, like, okay, and at least once, if not multiple times in that movie, he says, remember, boy, if you ever have trouble, you just come running. Yeah. yeah. And when there's trouble, he comes running, and he's drunk as a skunk and can't help at all, which is terrifying. Well, yeah. and as an adult, I watched that movie, and I'm like, don't trust that guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. too drunk to even fix your boat. He's not going to help kill your stepfather. But he's also <laughs> a device for us, the audience, because it would be too much if the boy mm-hmm. had to look through that crystal clear water and see his dead mother in the car with her hair floating like seaweeds. It would mm-hmm. be too much if the child saw that. But you have the uncle. That shot alone is such a beautiful yeah. painterly moment yeah and it's i mean god it's an incredible shot and it keeps the action moving and he's what you call the reactive character in the scene for one thing like you know the reactive character is the guy who sort of stands in for the audience like in it's a wonderful life when uh jimmy stewart rescues um clarence from from drowning and there's the guy in in the the boathouse who's listening to their conversation. He's the reactive character, so it always cuts back to him with his 
what the hell are they saying? Right. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to spit out my tobacco. And, what? What'd you say? <laughs> they sort of stand in for the audience. And that's what James Gleason did in that. It would be too scary if the kid saw his dead mother. But we, yeah, we, sure. we, the audience, have to see that. There are, I mean, God, so many great movies. We were talking about a movie I think is, uh, has been neglected called Reflection of Fear with Sandra Locke and uh, Robert Shaw. Oh, dude, look this up. He told me about this the other day. It's incredible looking. When people ask me at cons, I always think of a movie from the heyday of the made movie of the week TV shows. Yeah. Well, like the period when like Trilogy of Terror came out with Karen Black and the little Zuni fetish. Oh, and yeah. About, and, that, <laughs> in that same period, ABC did a movie called Don't Be Afraid of the Dark with Kim Darby and Jim Hutton, Tim Hutton's dad. And she's a housewife. And there are things living in the walls of the house who want to get her. We'll get her tonight. Bring her to the stairs. And it is scary as hell. They actually remade it. And re- of course, the remake was not as good as the original. The remake was, uh, wasn't that produced by Guillermo del Toro and they were like little fairy creatures living in a fireplace or something? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was okay. I, I need to see this original though, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the original I'm, the original must have had a five dollar budget, but it works. <laughs> it works. But it works. Well, sometimes you get the most creative things out of a low budget because yeah. you know they they have to come out with the most creative way to get the point across. Yeah, you you got to scare the audience. But I'll tell you, the scariest film I have ever seen was a documentary, yeah. Titicut Follies, by the great Frederick Weissman, the great documentarian. It was shot in the early 60s, and it's set in the Massachusetts Hospital for the Criminally Insane. And by the end of this movie, you're, you're left in doubt. Who are the crazy ones, the inmates or the keepers? Oh, wow. Is it kind of highlighting some of the bad practices of, of mental health care in those days? It's more about the people. Oh, wow. It's, there's no narrate. It's all... His documentaries are always narrationless. You, all you, you see what you see. That's the experience. But Titicut Follies is bone-chilling because it's real. I feel like we learned about that in film school. I don't remember if I ever saw it, though. Yeah, well, yeah. it's available on disc. I highly recommend it. it <laughs> uh, talk about man's inhumanity to man. The, and as you mentioned, that is the scariest kind of character the ones who have that evil inside them and, and have seemed to have reconciled with it in a way that makes them able to act. Yeah. So I have to ask some, what are some characters that maybe you haven't gotten to do, but would love to get your voice work on? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know how do you mention, how do you ask that? Yeah. What is a character you'd love to do? Well, see if you recognize this one. I wouldn't be too proud of the technological terror you've constructed. The power to destroy a planet is insignificant compared to the power of the Force. <sighs> that was cool! <laughs> Don't act so surprised, Princess. This is no mercy mission you're on. You are a part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor! 
Captain, take her away. The fact that they even has like the <laughs> reverb from the mask in there, that sounds so good. Oh. How about this? Are there any characters that you would do an alternate version of? Like, oh, like if, if, if you were to do that, you'd be like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have taken oh, it more yeah. of this kind of direction. Is there anything off the top of your head like that? No. When you talk about something like that, I immediately think of the Joker. There have been so many Jokers. Mark, oh. Mark Hamill has become like the touchstone sure. oh, for, for the yeah. Joker because his Joker was brilliant. He's a great actor and a nice guy. Real nice guy. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you could do so many things with it. One of the best Jokers I've ever heard was in an audio book of uh, Batman. I can't think of the name of the story with um, Azrael. Oh, okay. Was it like Nightfall? It wasn't Nightfall. It was... Um, Batman and Azrael had a team-up that was its own graphic novel. Is this, this is like a novel novel, but audio? It was an audio book based on the comic book. And Azrael was the young man who started taking over when Batman was injured. But the suit kind of took him over. Right. And he became you know stuff, the Golden Knight, as it were. And he thought he was crusading while he's killing people. Right. But right. the Joker in that audio book was so good. It was a British produced audio book. And I, I'm sure you could find it online. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. But the, jo the Joker played? reads the, the ending credits uh, at the end of the thing. <laughs> a woman is reading them while the Joker is holding a gun to her head. <laughs> you could <laughs> wow. just read it. Okay. It's a produced by... Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, faster now. <laughs> that's so that's amazing. Cool. The guy was just brilliant. Do you ever hear character voices and it just makes you cringe? You're like, oh, why'd they do that? <laughs> that's not what that character is. Uh, yeah, sometimes there was there was a period um, when there was a Canadian animation company that was doing quite a few things for uh, Saturday morning, and whenever I'd watch the show, there was one actor. Everybody he did was Jack Benny. <laughs> it's like the only voice this guy did was Jack Benny and so that's what all the characters were and you know it's not a bad thing to just I tell you there are basically two kinds of voice actors those who can change up their voice or you know do effects or stuff and there are those who just use their own voice but they're so brilliant with character that every character is completely different, like the great H. John Benjamin, who is Ster Sterling mm -hmm. Archer, and he's Bob yeah. on Bob's Burgers. He's the same guy, but he does such but, but, I think those voices, yeah. Are, yeah, the characters that he does, they are so different, and I think you can feel that. You could say the same line both ways, and just slight differences make yeah. it completely different but characters. It's, it's always his voice, but he understands character. And he's... Marvelous actor. Bob has no self-esteem, whereas Sterling Archer is so full of himself. That's an interesting way to think of it. I like, I like, I like that that framework around that. Yeah. Who's uh, who's one of your favorite to do? Uh, my favorites to do. Yeah, as far as like voices that you've done more than once, or or something that you were really proud and and excited about what you brought to that character. Well, my heart belongs to Mojo. <laughs> Did you really get to develop that character and that voice for him? Yeah, over time. I mean, I when they were casting originally, uh, Craig McCracken, the brilliant Craig McCracken, who created the Powerpuff Girls and Wander Over Yonder. If you've never seen 
Wander Over Yonder. Please go to YouTube or something and find them. Wander Over Yonder is one of the most brilliant cartoons of the last 10 years. It's amazing. But for the Powerpuff Girls, when they were casting it, I got a call back from Mojo. And the original direction was sort of like a scarier Peter Lorre. And, uh, of course, Ren and Stimpy was going at the time. And basically, Ren Hoek is Peter Lorre. But in the callback... Um, I'm on the mic, Craig's in the booth, and he goes, we, we do what I did, and we play around a little, and he goes, what would it be like if it had a little bit of a samurai touch to it? And, of course, the first thing I go to is Toshiro Mifune. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean a something like this? And he went, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that mojo was born, and then... Over time, you get to play with them. I'll tell you, one of the, the greatest compliments I've ever had was uh, for Mojo. And I don't know if you know the show, but there's an episode where Mojo finds out he's responsible for the creation of the Powerpuff Girls. He used to be Professor Utonium's lab assistant, and he knocked his arm so that he spilled the chemical X into the concoction he was using to make little girls. So Mojo is responsible for the creation of his own enemy. And the cartoon ends with Mojo going, It was me. It was me. It was me. And Tom Kane, who plays Professor Utonium, told me after that show aired, he went to pick up his daughter at school, his daughter and his friends, and drive him home. And they were crying. They were talking about that episode. And they were crying because they felt so sorry for Mojo. <laughs> I just, my heart just, boom, explodes. So that's so great. <laughs> the fact that you could have such an impact with just one line said three ways, you know, that's a huge talent, man. I, I mean, I'm blown away here. Today has been pretty amazing. I, I, it, it, I did it, not expect It's most this. impressive that, like, because I, I actually know a couple voiceover artists, and some of them are big, some of them, you know, are no one anyone's ever heard of, but almost all of them like need a minute to, to get into certain characters but you're just in and out and in and out doing different guys different girls back forth quick so fast it's 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 amazing why thank you oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know another voice i really used to like doing was i don't know if you remember him i was the original mr mucus for mucinex ads what <laughs> of course you remember welcome him. <laughs> to the coffee cabana 12 hours Sinus pressure, it's always the same. I love Mr. Mucus. I have to, t I mean, every time that commercial came on, they said 12 hours, I'd have to yell it back at the 12 hours. Always, every time. I don't even pretend to be, but I do like to do silly voices to my wife's chagrin. Well, there you go. When your kids start doing funny voices, don't tell them to stop. Don't yell at him. Yeah. <laughs> How long you been practicing? 12 hours? <laughs> Stop that silliness. You'll never be able to make a living doing that, you know. <laughs> well, I guess that's another question uh, to all the people who who are interested in something like this. What what advice do you have for them to kind of, where's the first place to look? Well, it's important to understand it's not about the voice. It's about the acting. 
You need to understand acting. And the best place to learn to act is on the stage, live theater. That's where I studied. That's where I worked for many years. Because you need the audience feedback to tell you what works and what doesn't. You know, the Marx Brothers, when they were shooting a movie, they used to take scenes from their movies. And they go out to the suburbs where another movie was showing. And they perform the scenes live in front of the movie theater audience between the shows so they could get a feel for what worked and what didn't. Because, you know, you say a line one way, it dies. You say another line, the same line a different way, it boom, everybody's laughing. So the place to learn to act is on the stage. It's, It's about the acting, the control of technique. Even if you're doing something like promo, it's, how you can control what you're doing. Like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, his father was Ernie Anderson, who who was uh, an announcer for ABC and did many other things. But he was the guy who was going, the love boat. (laughs) Yeah. It's not the voice. It's what you do with it. That's the control of technique, the acting. Otherwise, if you want to Get some good pointers, learn a little bit about the business, try to find some classes or something in your area. You can go to the great D. Bradley Baker has a website called I want to be a voice actor.com. And he answers practically every question you could think of, of what it takes to become a voice actor. Thank you for all that info. Yeah, we're going to put, we'll, yeah, we'll put some of our... that uh, up on our website just because I know that's a, a big area where people are interested in, but it's a, it's a pretty sort of tight community and I know it's a hard one to break into and a hard one to make a, a living yes, in, but <laughs> at, at the end of the day you're you're one of the best like one of the the biggest names one of the most recognizable voices especially coming from scream and your cartoon work I mean I hold on now I have to get a bigger hat for my swollen head <laughs> <laughs> do you impress yourself with this like like because I think you have an uh, ability and a talent that like Aaron and I are sitting here like, man, if I could do that, I would do it nonstop. Guess and what I, I'm I doing all was, afternoon, <laughs> by the way. For the rest of the day, we're going to be talking in stupid voices. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Are you impressed by yourself? Because I would be impressed by myself. <laughs> well, I have been able to make mental illness pay. <laughs> and to coin to uh, steal another joke from Neil Ennis of the Bonzo Dog Band and Monty Python. I've suffered for my art. Now it's your turn. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just gold, man. I, I love it. That's that's so much fun. I mean, I'm blown away that Matt was able to to get a hold of you. I am it's, s- it's all Mr. Jackson because I, I and he was one of the few people that I when I tried to contact, I couldn't find direct contact. I had to contact his agent first. And I was like, they're never gonna let this work. And I, I don't know if it was your agent or your manager, but she was super, super cool. And when I explained to her what I want to do, she started laughing. And she's like, well, I can't speak for him. He's going to have to make his own decision. But that is a really funny idea. And Matt had told me, he's like, I met this guy at Comic-Con who was wearing a Scream shirt and we're going to put him on the show. And I was like, really, Matt? Just some <laughs> rando you got from Comic-Con? That's actually a true story, but it was just some other jerk who wasn't involved. <laughs> he did have an awesome shirt. I'll tell you about it later. But uh, I didn't. I didn't. And actually, his uh, Mr. Jackson's agent called me right after you walked up to me at Comic Con at the sideshow booth, and I walked away from you because I didn't want you to know anything about well, it. It's been such a surprise. I'm I'm blown away. And and Mr. Jackson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, like, this has been this is amazing. This has really been amazing. And I know. I mean, 
We're I'm watching Aaron's face. I took some pictures and some video. We'll put them up on our social media and I'll share them with you, Mr. Jackson. But thank you very much. This has been, I mean, really, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Ghostface. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Aaron, Matt, it's been a blast. Thanks a lot. Thank you, thank sir. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you very Y'all much. Y'all have a good day. And Rufio? <laughs> he said goodbye. He's not on mic, but he said goodbye. I, I can see him waving. <laughs> I'm going to have to go find this camera. Dude, I can't believe that. Dude, you got me so good. So good that I thought there might be a man hiding on my doorstep. Yeah, I, I'll tell you guys, like, when, I, when we say shit, we are being genuine when we say stuff. We usually don't fuck around. Like, we usually don't make stuff up for the illusion of radio. But, like, when Ghostface told him to turn around, Aaron did. And he looked around his own house yeah for cameras i and like i'm like i know there's nobody wait is somebody there and then like, when he said something about either he or i said something about the door you literally got up and i thought you were doing it to make me laugh until you started to take your headphones off and i was like motion Aaron. i was like no no i don't think he's outside and then i was like wait is he well because my dog was like barking at the door and it was like is somebody outside and then like it wouldn't be beyond belief that if matt had been tricking me to make this happen that maybe kate my wife is in on it like, let this man, in. he's been hiding behind my couch for hours. <laughs> for three days. <laughs> She's like, oh, we're going to go on vacation. You just hide behind the couch and uh, we'll see you when we get back. And I'm like, that must have been really awkward for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think of what he saw. No! Um, That's amazing. I mean, I can't believe it. Roger Jackson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, This is that, that was so awesome. Thank and you. And I had to keep this, Thank you dude. for putting that together, because I seriously thought that this was just some rando you met at Comic-Con, who might have been funny. I, I, I give you the benefit of the doubt, but I was like, dude, I don't want to bring some rando on the show. Like, come so on. So at Comic-Con, I did see a guy in a, a shirt, and it was the McFarlane, I think it's Spider-Man 300 cover. Where he's, I, I know which one it is. Yeah, him on the big web, and it's it's an iconic, iconic McFarlane Spider-Man cover. Oh, it's number one. It's Torment number one, three hundred. What am I, an idiot? What am I, some sort of non-cool nerd? Yeah, it was Torment, the first uh, McFarlane drawn and written book, and it it's Spider-Man crouched down with all the webs around yeah. him. I saw a dude who had a shirt that was a scream parody of that, and it was Ghostface kneeling down, but instead of a web, it was all like old school phone cords, like the curly Q phone Whoa. cords. And I was like, oh, that is a super bitchin' shirt. I thought that was super cool. And that was the the fake lie I thought, like, well, I need to tell you that someone's calling in because there's no way I could technologically have someone call in and surprise us, you know, the way we do it. So I, that, I, that was the way I was going to do it. And if you guys haven't yet listened to our Comic-Con debrief where we kind of go over the ins and outs of all the big things that we did at Comic-Con, that episode dropped a little while ago. Check that out. But we had this great killer panel that Aaron and I hosted that we thought we did a good job, but everybody was going gaga over, which really like just bolstered us up. We got all excited. Then there was an after party, and at the after party, we got some cool news there. And then after all that, Roger Jackson calls me on my cell phone to talk to us, to talk to me about this. And he was totally on board. He was laughing at the idea. I was like, yeah, I want to trick my old roommate in this. And he started laughing. He's like, let's do it. And I was like, fucking ghost is calling me on my phone it was like one of the more surreal days that i'd had <laughs> i'm i'm still like i'm i'm pretty shook dude pretty shook this is crazy <laughs> i'm looking at Ghostface, and the voice is coming through my headphones like i'm looking at the little ghost face toy that matt brought and like then the voice is in my headphones like amazing 
<laughs> I mean, we got to keep talking about these movies. So, yeah, right? we got, we got, we do have a little bit more. I know we, we have more than one movie to talk about, but one thing I, I want to know a cool fact. Actually, I have a couple cool facts here. Do it. Just a quick thing while we're still on Ghost, Ghostface. Ghostface weapon of choice is a like a, a hunting knife, right? Yeah. It's not a kitchen knife. It's distinctly a hunting knife. There is a model, a buck knife model one two zero, which was the hunting knife that I think the knife that they used in the movie was modified a bit. It was based on this though. Yeah. The actual knife was supposedly discontinued because customers complained that the blade was too big for gutting animals. <laughs> isn't, that like, isn't that like a weird twist of fate? Like, that's why I believe in God, because God's like, this will be funny. <laughs> Anyone who's paying attention to this will laugh. That's what I think. In my head, oh, I wish we had Mr. Jackson back on to do a disgruntled hunter voice complaining <laughs> about the size of a buck knife. And he's like... Um, this knife is way too big for gutting deer. I have guts in my deer, and I need them out. And the only knife I have is a little bit too long. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's pretty good for cutting teenagers apart, but, like, if I wanted to remove guts from a deer? This is just not going to do. Discontinued. (laughs) (laughs) I put the microphone towards my computer to make typing sounds, and then did it with my mouth anyway. I went, <laughs> but it wasn't by my mouth. Oh my God, the boardroom when they're like, guys, we have an unprecedented problem. The knives we're making are too big. <laughs> That's what she said. And you're like, like shut up, Gary. Johnson, how, many, how many hunters does it take to make a hunting knife company change their policy or like, change their stock? Like, how many hunters rode in bitching that it was too big? More more than five. <laughs> I, I also feel like hunters are not letter writers or caller inners. You know what I mean? Like, they're either too manly well, or too And that's the thing. Like, it, must have, it must really be that big enough of a problem if he's like, normally I don't like to complain about things, Martha, but God damn it, this knife's just too big. Tip, tap, tip, tap, tap, tap. <laughs> you know, like... Or, or did they actually, like, they're in their log cabin and, like, by the light of a fire and, like, deer skins hanging on the wall they're writing this letter dear buck knife i'm corresponding to you to regulate that your knife i use for gutting deer is much too big as i slid your model 120 into my latest kill i was surprised at the length of the blade now don't get me wrong i'm not a complainer per se <laughs> cordially yours reginald de beauregard <laughs> <laughs> you know that like Roger Jackson's listening to this right now and he's like, oh my God, these guys are fucking terrible. He's like, remember that question about do you ever yeah. hear a voice and you just roll your yeah. eyes? He's like, there's now. no character in either one of them and they're doing their same voice as just rednecky. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, legendary voice actor Roger. We apologize. We just started today. <laughs> oh, we told you. We told you this was going to happen. This is your fault. This well, now that he's fault. gone, let me hear your ghost face that you did as the temp track for the TV show. Do you like scary movies? <laughs> I'm out. Horse stab you. <laughs> How deep in you is your guts? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure I got the right knife. <laughs> Why, hello, Emma. Do you like scary movies? <laughs> I know. Come on, I mean, it was I mean, fun. Just, it, it's hard to to hear him and then hear. But but here's you. the thing. But here's the thing. I was doing it just for a temp track sure. to fill in for editors, and it was a fun thing to do. To be like, oh my yeah. god, I get to do the scream voice 
that they're I'm never going to use. Ghostface Junior. Yeah, I get to I get to be the temp guy. Like that was a fun thing to do. So whatever. Ah, that's that's how cool though that you did that and you got to talk to him today. Yeah. Well. <sighs> So to wrap up Scream 1, I guess we better wrap this one up. Yeah, yeah. Well, about I want to talk about the end. I want you to talk about the end. But before you do, real quick, did you know that this was at least relatively inspired by a true a true event? No, don't freak me out like that, dude. Dude, there was a serial killer, and it, he's looking behind him. There was a serial killer in Gainesville, Florida. He, he was dubbed as the Gainesville Ripper. Okay. This was in 1990, so six years before Scream comes Ooh. out. Two women are murdered. Co-eds in a, in a, in a fraternity, uh, a sorority, one upstairs, one downstairs, posed in brutal, humiliating ways, <sighs> and they're ridiculously stabbed. Police, oh shit, this is a murder. Hopefully it doesn't continue. Within nine hours, they find another body. Another co-ed, also naked, destroyed, stabbed like crazy, and her head was cut off and was on a shelf looking at the body. Within nine hours of the first tumor. Oh, shit. Later on, there was another murder. It was a man and a woman, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, murdered. She was stabbed like crazy, and she was also undressed and posed. He was not. I think he just the guy just killed him to kill him. So there was five murders there. They, when they eventually figured out who it was, they realized that this guy also committed murders. I think it was in Georgia. It was in Georgia or Louisiana. He killed a woman and her brother and the brother's eight-year-old kid and just ki- like, killed them. I'm not sure exactly how he killed oh. them. Dude, at the same time as he was in this town murdering people in Gainesville, he robbed a bank with a gun, got away. A day or two later, they see him, the, the armed robbery suspect. Two police chase him into the woods, and he gets away. But they find his campsite with a tent and a screwdriver that he used to break into the girls' rooms, and some other specific evidence that led them to believe that he was the killer, but they didn't know it at the time. So they bagged all that evidence up and threw it in a locker and were like, we don't have time to fuck around with armed robbery evidence right now. We have a serial killer. And they had the evidence there to get the serial killer. So it took them a couple more days or a week to figure out he got arrested for another armed robbery and then they started to figure out an investigator was able to link him through DNA to something that was at the site. And then once they did that, they found the tent stuff, blah, 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 blah. And they got him. He That's was a, insane. He, he was a 36 year old guy, though. So it wasn't like it wasn't really like Scream where it was a kid and he wasn't in a costume or no. anything. No, I, I just looked up some of this and it's weird because all the pictures of him in the courtroom, he has those sad ghost face eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Little <laughs> peanut eyes. Little peanut eyes. It was my ice cream. But uh, <laughs> apparently Kevin Williamson, the writer of Scream was trying to write a horror movie. He heard about this, freaked him the fuck out, but it really inspired him to get going. Not only did he bang out the script for Scream, but he wrote like five or 10 page treatments for Scream 2 and Scream 3 before Scream 1 was even sold. Like, boom, boom, boom. And like he's like, that's like writing a script to me. And, like, and if you really like it, this is what the next two could be about. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a pretty cool idea, I thought. And I, you know, I guess it works. I don't know how much of those treatments... Stayed true in, in Scream 2 and Scream 3. We'll talk I hear about Scream 2 a little bit. I hear Scream 3 not at all. Scream 2. <laughs> Scream 3. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's wrap it up. And the best place to wrap it up is at the end. So, yeah, at the end, when they finally reveal who the characters are, surprise, it was boyfriend who thought you thought was dead, and the nice guy. The nice guy stoner boyfriend uh, who, who you, you didn't think could be the killer because he was a funny, nice guy. 
But suddenly they reveal, hey, we're the killer. And then they start acting crazy as fuck. Like, these guys start, like, over the top being crazy as hell. And one of my favorite lines is Matthew Lillard being like, oh, my mom's going to be so mad at me. Which I heard was ad-libbed. And I think there was a lot of ad-libbing on this set, especially from Matthew Lillard. But I think that's a great line. It's funny as hell. And, and, but I mean, they start acting really crazy and then they're like showing how they're going to get away with it. And they have to like stab each other. So it looks like they were victims too. I thought that was just such a crazy, creepy scene. It was really good. good. Yeah, it's good. And again, this whole, this movie should have been called Tightrope because a lot of times you have a crazy character played by an actor who overdoes it or a director who directs them to overdo it. And then you're like, you know, I, I know that your character's crazy, but you're take, you're doing it too much. It's taking me, the audience, out of the moment. By that point in the movie, I'm still so fucking invested. And I'm like, especially the first time I saw it, I'm like, what? Two killers, one of whom I just saw, you know, theoretically saw murdered. Whoa. And they do a great job. And I also like that there's a dichotomy of like Matthew Lillard's crazy. Yeah. And like Skeet Ulrich is like, menacing crazy oh yeah and then you know they explain oh it's gonna you know we wanted to do this thing for these reasons and skeet ulrich is also like also revenge is my motive revenge your slept bag of a monitor was flashing her shit all over town (laughs) (laughs) their words not yours it's interesting though because if you watch that scene too when he says that matthew lillard looks surprised and i don't know if that's on purpose or not but it makes it look like oh i didn't realize you had another motive other than that we're just trying this real killing thing, which to me is always the scariest when in real life or in, 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 in a media thing, when someone is killing for no reason other than to do it, how do you, how can you as a sane person wrap your mind around that? You know what I mean? It's tough though, because that's also a fine line because it can get lazy. As far as like being, like as far as writing a movie or yeah, something? Yeah, because it's like, I'm for crazy sure. because I'm crazy. Well, right, right. Then what does the character have to do? I, I Like, I hate that wild card for wild card's sake, but at the same time, like, I think Scream made it work. Scream made it work well, because built it, it was, or, It's almost like if you think of it as a card, it, it's built, the house of cards is built around that card, so it makes yeah. sense. But when you just fucking play that card, like, oh, yeah. he's just crazy. You're like, yeah, yeah. but no. no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. you're right, you're right. That is lazy. But in this case, it's great. So, So what do we got? So, I mean, that's the end of one. And one really did change the game. It really reinvented the slasher genre, for better or worse. I mean, I I think sometimes it reinvented it and everybody's like, oh, man, we can be self-aware now. We can call attention to all these tropes. And I think that worked really well for a minute. But then, very quickly, all these slasher remakes and slasher spinoffs from Scream became tired and stale pretty quick. Sure, I agree with that. And I also think that it's a double-edged sword because horror was not a big genre at the time in like the early 90s and mid 90s. It was not a well-known and it certainly wasn't respected for anything. This movie came in and it, it, it opened slow. It only made like $6 million in its first weekend, but then it, it lasted for like eight or nine months in theaters, which word was unheard of. Mouth. of. Yeah, word yeah of a mouth. lot of people. And, it, it, and horror is like that, right? If you're a horror fan and you tell me something's good, I'm going to go see it. Oh, yeah. That movie, that one movie, Scream, kind of put horror as a genre back on the map again. Big time. And then, which is good. Well, it's good in a way that a lot of horror movies got to be made after that. But also, in my opinion, horror went down after that. I hate the torture porn stuff. I hate the Saw and the Hostels and all that shit. I hate those movies. And those, I guess, wouldn't have happened without Scream. So that's a shitty thing. But I don't know if you would have had any of the horror movies or, you know, at least not many of them. It wouldn't be, they wouldn't be viewed the same way anything after Scream if, if it wasn't for Scream. Well, as we were saying, how Ghostface is kind of a modern era. Uh, legacy character, I mean, he really 
put his stamp define the era of 90s horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, who else is there? A Chucky sequel? Uh, is you know, is it is a Candyman? Maybe, but there really isn't a lot. Silence of the Lambs. Like, sure, but again, you know, we could argue: is that horror? Is that not whatever? But it immediately was so popular, and within the year, they had the sequel in the bag, ready to go. They began shooting immediately afterwards. The script was done immediately afterwards, and they rushed into production for Scream Two. Right, and I think they knew at that point this was going to be. Well, I think they knew it was going to be at least. A movie, a horror movie, popcorn movie that you can get into Scream Two. Yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think they thought it was going to be uh, as good as Scream One was going to be as good as Scream One was. But yeah, Scream Two. So Scream Two happened. So I like, I like Scream Two is pretty good. I like where it starts out. It starts out in a little bit after the events of Scream One. The story of Scream has become a big national phenomenon, and they made a movie about it called Stab. Stab which yeah, Mr. Jackson, Roger. Yeah, I can call him Roger now. Yeah, Raj. Roger uh, referenced, yeah, Stab is now a movie in their world. In their world, and it starts out with what has now become a a scream staple of a famous, recognizable character getting killed, and Jada Pinkett Smith shows up at the movie theater with her boyfriend, and it's like, this movie theater is like riotous, man. Everybody's wearing ghost face masks. Do you know what movie theater that is? What? That's the Rialto in Pasadena. No way. Yes. Oh, wow. And even and, and and not only do I know that, but when when the first or one of the first shots is a pan down of it, and it even has, I think it's supposed to be the Rialto. It has that sign. If you guys don't know the Rialto, it uses this great theater in Pasadena that has a proscenium arch and a yeah. gargoyle and everything. Oh, we awesome. used to go to a lot of midnight screenings there. We saw some amazing shit there. Yeah, I think it's still closed, but either way, so yeah, Jada Picking Smith and her boyfriend buy it right in the beginning, and actually, it's celebrating stab and. She gets killed on stage in front of everybody. It's kind of crazy because she's she gets stabbed in her seat and like walks up to the front and the projector is like projecting on her and just everybody's just cheering. Yeah, because they're not no one no one knows that it's that's not part of the show. Yeah, and again, I think that's upping what was done in the first one to the next level. It did it a little bit bigger, a little bit more grandiose. It's not as good, but it's the second fucking movie. What do you it's expect? It's pretty good, though. And I mean, it's, it's more of the same, but they. I think the second one actually holds up to its own. Like, those two back-to-back are a decent, decent sort of companion The second piece. one is a good sequel. Did you know that the Stab sequences were directed by Robert Rodriguez? Yes, yeah. How fucking cool, How cool is, is that? that? So, in this, because it's a sequel, our character, Jamie Kennedy, returns, and he gives us the rules for sequels. And... One, the death total is always greater. Two, the murder scenes are always much more elaborate with more blood and gore. I didn't agree with that, though, in this one. No, not at all. And the third rule to surviving a sequel was cut from the movie, but it appears in the trailer. Number three, never ever under any circumstances assume the killer is dead. Which, those should that's not the sequel. Mm-hmm. That should be the first movie, too. But um, I don't think that those rules were followed in this movie. The, the kills no. were not amped up. There's one kill, the, the guy who gets the pole through his head in the cop car, that's a pretty good kill. Yes, that was super cool, and that, that you do see some gore for that one, but for the most part, we don't really hit gore for two more movies, and four, we start to get gory. Yeah. In this one, it's a lot of like like at, what we call out-of-kit effects, where you know it's just stabbing, and it's either a trick knife, or part of a knife, or a rubber knife that's used to hit someone, and when they, yeah. they cut to a different shot, and then pull back, and then that shows the blood coming out. And the blood was pretty much just blood. There wasn't a lot of gore and nernies and shit like that. Yeah, it definitely wasn't super gory. But, you know, it was... It's funny that you said the thing about the pole through the guy's head in the car because this this car gets into... It's a police car, yeah. right? And uh, Sidney Prescott and her roommate are in the back and these two guys are in the front. They crash 
oh no, Scream is driving. Ghostface Killer's driving. Yeah. And there's another guy in the passenger seat. Ghostface crashes the car. A pole smashes through the windshield, goes through the other guy's head, and uh, Ghostface is, is knocked unconscious. The girls are in the back seat, but because it's a cop car, they can't get out of the doors. So they have to climb over the, the middle of the car, then climb over an unconscious Ghostface to get out of the car. It's a really, really well done scene. But why wouldn't you just start stabbing him in the face or like choking him out right then and there? <laughs> girls. <laughs> no, I agree. And that that is, I watched that. We actually watched that for Shitty Movie Sunday a couple weeks ago. And it was one of those like Night at the Apollo things where everyone watching was screaming, stab him, shoot him. Once they get out, they actually get a gun. She's like, turn around and shoot him. Everyone was screaming. <laughs> and it is that moment. But I think if you feel that way while watching a, a movie or a scene from a movie or a show, that movie or show is succeeding in what it's doing. Even if you don't like what the characters are doing, that is causing you anxiety, which is what the, the, the idea of that movie is, right? Yeah. So I think that was a real, I think that was the most effective scene in, in the movie. The rest of it's okay. It's, it's nothing too huge. Well, and at the end, who are the killers? I think it was like my mom and your mom. It's basic, well, it's Skeet Ulrich's mom. Yeah, yeah Skeet Ulrich's mom, mom and then boyfriend who is new to the movie. Yeah, who's like, hey, I'm a killer. And she's like, eh. It's played by Timothy Oliphant, though. Yeah. And, and that he, guy from Sliders is in it. Timothy Oliphant does way too much over-the-top crazy acting throughout the whole movie. He's like yeah. just crazy. There's scenes where he's just, you could see him. It almost looks like he's a featured extra that's trying real hard to be in it more. <laughs> hey like, guys, you could see it. Hey, yeah. There's no, scenes where he's doing it. Look There's at a me. scene where Jerry O'Connell stands up on a table in front of an entire huge dining scene. hall. I hate that And he's scene. singing to Nev Campbell because he loves her so much. And Timothy Oliphant is, like, standing behind him, quietly hype-manning him by, like, pointing at Jerry O'Connell and, like, waving his arms around. You're like... No one's looking at you, Timothy. Sit down. I love you, but you're sit. It's about Jerry O'Connell and his love. <laughs> I can't wait till you're in Deadwood, but this is stupid. I did like in this movie, though, that uh, Randy specifically goes back and starts talking about the rules of a sequel yeah. as opposed to the original movie. And I thought that was cool. And like, there's slightly different rules. But I like that they're, they're not just hitting the same thing. Randy dies in this one, though, too, yeah. right? I hate how he dies. He dies in a, such a weak way, too. He Agreed. gets pulled into a van, the van door closes, and then the van's like, da-da-da-da, and nobody can hear his screams because these, like, cartoon hip-hop bros... Oh, yeah, <laughs> they walk by and they're spinning with their boombox. <laughs> he has, like, literally has a boombox. It's like, um, what year is this? Boomboxes still have not been around since the 80s at this point. Nobody was walking around with boomboxes. We had Walkmans in the mid-90s. That is the point, though. Everyone was looking and being like, what the fuck is that guy doing with a boombox? This is 20 years too late. And meanwhile, Randy's getting murdered yeah. in a contemporary van, but no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't like that murder because the van door opens, and presumably, even if Ghostface is not in the Ghostface killer outfit, he still grabs another young man and pulls him into a van and then slams the door closed and blood hits the window. Nobody saw that. Let's just say that sound wasn't a factor. Nobody saw that. And then also Ghostface, you see Ghostface's feet come out. Like you're looking under the van, you see his feet come down, presumably taking off the Ghostface outfit and then walking away. Nobody saw that either. Yeah. I, I mean, know. like, I mean, whatever, second movie in a horror movie franchise, like whatever. It wasn't that. It, but again, this one was okay. It was a good follow up. But unfortunately, after that movie was done, they were like, let's do a third movie. You know, it would be good. What? If we did another scream movie. I love this idea. I love this all day. Let's do it. We could put Patrick Dempsey in it. We could put Roger Corman in it. We can put Lance Hendrickson. That guy from Aliens. We can put Jenny McCarthy in it. Ooh. We could put Parker Posey in it. We could put Patrick Warburton in it. We can put Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes in it. 
Oh, as their famous stoner characters? How great. We could put Carrie Fisher in it. Jesus. <laughs> we could put it's more on and on and on and on. This movie is terrible. This movie is they're still making stab movies. Although the opening of this uh no, the opening of this one is which one? The opening of this one is Leave Schreiber as Cotton Weary. Oh, that's right. Getting killed by go him and his girlfriend get killed by Ghostface. Although that's a kind of a cool scene though, because Cotton Weary, who we know from the other two movies, he realizes from Ghostface calling him, fuck with him, that Ghostface is going to try to kill his girlfriend, so he's trying to get home to save her. Then we cut to the girlfriend at home, and we hear Lee Schreiber's voice through the door. And she opens it, it's Ghostface, he tries to kill her, and then she eventually gets away, and he says, I'm sorry, I was just joking. So she thinks Ghostface is him. When he comes home to save her, she doesn't want to be saved and hates him and is trying to get away from him because she thinks he was the killer. Because in this one... Ghostface can use a voice changer that changes voices to any other cast member. But that technology doesn't exist. It still doesn't exist. It's not like it's one of the dumbest devices to introduce into a fucking movie ever because we like up until this point. This really bothers him. It really bothers me. <laughs> I wish you could see his body language. Up at this point, all of the screen movies have been grounded in some sort of reality. Yes, they're movies. Yes, they're horror movies. Rules are broken. Some of it is unrealistic, but it was a guy with a knife and a phone. Now he's got like some sort of CIA, like James Bond technology. Like, come the fuck And it on. looks like a giant stopwatch, like <sighs> the actual prop itself. It's so dumb. And also I think, and I'm not just saying this because Roger Jackson was just on the show, but there's not as much ghost face, uh, ghost face voice. Yeah. It's other people's voice. I mean, it does. I will give them credit that they're not making Scream 2 again. They're making a different movie and they're trying different things with it. Okay, that's fine. The The overall plot, though, is ridiculous. Like, they're not ridiculous. It's just boring. It's they're making so a stab movie. So it's very, like, self-reflexive of, not like, just stab, characters. Not just stab, stab three. They're okay, so the third movie. And Parker Posey is playing Courtney Cox's character and Jenny McCarthy is playing some other blonde. I think she's playing, like, Tatum-type character. Yeah. It's really, really stupid, though, and it really does just feel like a vehicle for stabbing people like it's not it it doesn't really have the heart that even two had and one definitely has oh in part two i think it's funny that uh it's it's heather graham is in it and it has mm -hmm. like part the the fake movie stab i love because it was uh tori spelling plays uh nev campbell and in the movie the first movie they're like who would play you in your movie because and she's like oh maybe tori spelling yeah because because tatum says uh i see you as a young meg ryan and um the best part is she says it demeaningly yeah. nev campbell says no i think i'd probably get like a tori spelling <laughs> and then tori spelling plays her in two which is really two. funny the, th the third one's just a mess though because so they have the scream movie being made the third stab movie they go to Hollywood. People are getting killed. It, it's it's almost a comedy now. Like when th there's a moment where they're hiding in this house, and this killer is faxing them script pages that's illustrating how they're gonna die, mm -hmm. and they keep running back to the fax machine to see what happens, and it's like really contrived. And then the house blows up. Oh yeah, the whole house blow. I so when I, it, that's a, a shark jump for me in that series when that happens. And it's also at this point now two. I don't want to say two was an ineffective horror movie, but it also wasn't effective. Like, I wasn't like, ooh, this is tension in two. That one scene that I said in the police car, that I thought there was some good anticipation, some yeah. good tension there. Um, one is full of that. I think one is really, especially coming right out of the gate, the Casey Becker sequence, that's really, really creepy. She, you know, there's shots of her looking around, there's her POV looking through the window and you see the killer yeah. cross frame real fast. 
it doesn't do a lot of tropes of horror movies with like the huge or- orchestral score really loud when something happens just Jump to scare, scare you. But yeah. like, it's just a fake bullshit. The third one starts to do a, a lot of that bullshit without doing the good stuff. And it's like, well, the you're not really a good horror movie. The part of now. the third one, and, and here's where I give it props, but then it, it, it screws itself over, is when they're at the movie studio and Ghostface starts chasing people around and this girl gets chased into a prop, a prop room and there's all these Ghostface this costumes. This is Jenny McCarthy, yeah. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. But here's the weird part. And, and, and actually, it has a really great moment where Nev Campbell goes to the set and it's her house from the first movie. Sure, yeah, But yeah, here's yeah. my question. If that's her house from the first movie, what was the first Stab movie about? If this is the third one, shouldn't it be something different than the first movie? I thought that as well, but like, what But is- whatever, yeah. That should have been the climax of the film. That should have been the end of the movie. That house should have blown up because that would have been like such a great way to wrap up and bring everything full circle because they keep mentioning the trilogy brings it full circle. The trilogy comes back as they find out from Jamie Kennedy's character who is dead but left like a videotape for a them. A video will, yeah. yeah. If, I, if I die, then you're watching this tape so I could tell you about the rules of a trilogy. So the rules for a, ho- uh, a horror movie trilogy are stated are the killer must be superhuman. Mere stabbing or shooting will not be enough to kill the killer. Anyone can die, including the main character, and the past will come back to haunt us. And then, like, one of the other characters goes, all I know about movie trilogies is the third one. All bets are off. Um, okay. Cotton Weary dies, but who... Uh, and he specifically says, like, even the main char- character can die. Sorry, Sydney, this means you. Well, they keep t- teasing you with that, but, like, they, they just never had the balls to kill him. But, like, who else... Who other... What other main characters die? Because, like we discussed earlier... Our main characters, Gail Weathers, um, Sidney Prescott, and Dewey all live. Yeah. Right. So they don't do anything. And it has a dumb, uh, like, weird retcon plot that even messes Big with time. the other Which, ones. like, again, I almost, I want to give it credit for trying to do something, but you're like, wait, what? It's like back and forth about, this like, Sydney's mom. This movie's also really mom. long. It is for long. What it's it is. for what it is. It should be way shorter. It's like it talks it's about Sydney's mom hours. and talks about what she, you know, Sydney's mom was doing. Sydney's mom was such a whore. Big affair like, everywhere, damn, blah, 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 blah. That gets pulled in. And who's the killer at the end? It's like the director who also is her stepbrother. Mm-hmm. Half-brother? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's kind of dumb. Because the mo- Sydney's mother rejected her, re- rejected him when he yeah. was like, hey, I'm your bastard. <laughs> and then she's like, no. And he's like, okay, I'll make movies and murder. Yeah. Which... Good for him for becoming really successful before turning to murder. Because normally most like <laughs> evil rejected children are like, I will get my revenge. They usually can't like wait until their careers really settled in. Like, wouldn't you think all that money would be like, you know what? I was really mad and wanted to like, get revenge on my mother and stepsister. But all this like sweet director money kind of has me satisfied. Do you think he was debating the revenge thing? Because like theoretic, although does he say that he made Billy and Stu, he does take credit for that. Oh yeah, yeah, he? yeah. He like got the gave them the idea or like told them the story or something. I don't know. It it retcons. It would have been awesome if there was a flashback scene where he's like, "Hey, you should kill people for like movie stuff," and they're like, "Good idea." He says it to Randy. Randy's like, "No way, I would never do that." And oh then man, St- my mom's gonna be so mad. Stu is like, "Wait, what did you say?" <laughs> Wait, was he just talking about killing people? Because I was just thinking. I that was thinking we that. should like go kill people. Well, look, dude. You're saying, and then. Director guy is like, no, 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 not me. Do you have like a brooding, slightly handsome, but really creepy looking friend that you can bring into it? Yeah, I got just the guy. He's kind of a stoner, a little unreliable, ad libs a lot of his lines, doesn't stick to the script, but he'll be perfect. No, that's, a- this is, that's Stu. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how Scream 3 ends? Because it has 
almost a great, terrible ending. I can't figure out if it makes me angry or makes me chuckle. Uh, does the corpse disappear? No. So they kill him. They shoot him. He's dead. And okay, good. End of the movie. Gale, Dewey, Sidney, and Patrick Dempsey, who plays a cop. McDreamy. This is the movie where Sidney is a um, an over-the-phone, like, counseling crisis helper. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 you yeah. Called Open Arms. You could, you could talk to me about anything. So at the end of the movie... I think it's supposed to show you that Sydney is no longer afraid oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. this yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she walks the dog and she comes in and Patrick Dempsey and, and Gail Weathers and Dewey are there and they're like, hey, we're going to watch a movie. And they walk out of frame and she starts, Sydney starts to follow them and she hears a noise. Click, click. Err. She turns around and her door is slowly opening and no one's there. And she looks at it, thinks to herself, and confidently turns around and walks away, even though the door is open. <laughs> Close the door. You're letting out the AC. That's a, dude, that's it. literally exactly what I thought. I was like, I'm going to make an air conditioning joke. The other thing, too, we haven't said this yet. Wes Craven directed all four of these, which is usually not the case in a, in a horror franchise like this. It's usually one or two, and then they switch directors. Wes Craven did all four of these. Really? Yeah, all four <sighs> of them. And this just goes to show, sometimes I love me some Wes Craven. Sometimes it's like, agreed, dude. What the? I agree. Fuck? And again, like, I I think if you gave me ten minutes more, I could figure out a better way to end that movie. But like, I get what you were trying to do. It was just that so movie does not need fucking... ten minutes more. You no, you, no, give me ten minutes to think about no, it. No, you cut a half hour off the movie. You you end that movie when she fights him in the movie set because that at least holds up to what the trilogy should have been. Uh, blah, blah, well, blah, blah, blah. the trilogy is only a trilogy until she walks away from that open door, and then we get Wes Craven's last film, I believe. Scream 4. I like Scream 4. I do too. It's, I mean, I don't like, I don't scream one like it, but I, I don't scream two or three dislike it. Yeah. Um, this one brings some new blood into it. We get some new people. I love how this one starts. Agreed. Why don't you walk us through that? All right. So it starts with two people, two girls in a house talking, and it starts into the scream shit. Like phone call, they're freaking out. Like they, two teenage girls two teenage, are And they're starting to get stabbed, but you're kind of like, I'm into this, but. I don't know. Like, I thought it was supposed to kill famous people. I thought that's how we started the screen movies is kill somebody unexpected. And then suddenly you realize you're watching Stab 6. Right. And you're like, whoa, you got me. And now Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin are sitting on the couch watching Stab 6. They're sitting on the couch watching this movie. And Anna, Anna Paquin, no. Yeah, Anna Paquin goes... I don't even like scary movies. And Kristen Bell looks at her and then stabs her in the gut. Mm-hmm. And it's really gory. She stabs her and like two or three go- times. Very, very gory. This movie kicks it up a notch with the effects. There's a lot of really good, uh, some good cheats, but some really good stuff. And you see gore. It's not just straight stabbings. There's gore. So she stabs her a few times and you're like, God damn, this is crazy. But then guess what? Surprise. You're not watching a scream movie. You're watching Stab 7. And it's like a double fake out. Mm-hmm. And then it gets you into the meat of the movie. And I was like, you got me twice. How awesome is that? But then it made me think, wait, Stab 7 has them watching Stab 6 in the movie. It's aware of itself, of itself completely. Right. Which it's a good it's a good intro. And again, it's like love it or hate it. It's trying something new. Scream four is I was almost said stab. Scream four is not just Scream Three Part Two. It's a new movie. It does new stuff. 
Um, it does go back to the original. I think they flirt with the idea of a reboot a lot with it. They don't. Yeah. They don't say it as much. They don't. They don't have like the rules of the reboot. But yes, they keep talking about remakes and reboots and and bringing it back to basics. It back to they, basics they go yeah. all about that. There's a lot of characters that are very reminiscent of characters from the first one, and you know that the movie's doing it on purpose. It's not like it didn't realize or it's shitty writing. They tried to do that on purpose. There are two film, you know, AV type of guys who are the Randy of this movie. One, one of them is Culkin. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin's brother with the long hair. Yeah. And and they have good characters. The one thing I will give this movie big props for is it was one of the first horror films I saw that I think used cell phones in a way that worked because a lot of times horror movies have a really hard time justifying technology, especially cell phones. Yeah, yeah. And this one sets up some pretty clever moments using the cell phone but also being aware that they exist because I think a lot of horror movies have to ignore technology just to be able to set up tropes where people are isolated right and i think this did a great job because there's a moment where he's like i'm in your closet and they open he it says, i'm in the closet i'm in the closet and they open the closet and he's not in there but he's in their friend's closet across the way i and they didn't s- say your closet yeah and then oh, that was good i think room. mine's pretty good roger's mine good <laughs> and then they watch their friend get killed from across the way and i thought that was really effective yeah and again i think the reason that i and i you know it's funny, man, because you and I talk so much about movies, right? I bet you once a week we say something to each other about movies that we like or dislike. And sometimes we are diametrically opposed where we just are so different. I, of all people, I mean, anybody, I try not to be swayed by you know their opinion, but you, I respect your opinion, even if it's different than mine. So even if you say something like, oh, I love this movie, I usually walk in being like, well, just because Rumi loved it doesn't mean that I'm going to love it. But it does automatically give a movie credence. So before I, re- I rewatched this one last night, actually, and before I watched it, you had said you liked it, and I tried not to let that sway me. I don't think it did, but I agree with you, and I think it's because this is an effective horror movie. There are some really good sequences. There are some effective sequences, and it does what it's trying to do well, whereas like two and three, three more so, I feel like were just sequels. Well, here, here's a, a note on that. This one came out almost 11 years after the third one did. Mm-hmm. It had time to look at the landscape that that the first one had created. The first mm. one was a great commentary on what was coming out in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and what was kind of the doldrums of horror had commentary. The second and third one came out before it had any time to even think about it. Sure, sure. So the third one's talking about a trilogy. Well, think of all the horror trilogies. The third one's usually garbage by this point, and Scream 3 did not disappoint in that aspect. Correct, that's true. <laughs> and I feel that, you know... The, the the fourth one had a lot more, um, the filmmaking was tighter. Even though it was Wes Craven directing throughout, there were some scenes, like there's a scene, one of the dudes in the AV club has like a pair of headphones that has a little camera on it that he always webcam, does like, like yeah. webcams for. And there's a sequence where his is, spoiler alert, his camera gets knocked and it's looking backwards. And the whole time he's walking around shooting things backwards, then he stands in front of a house, but he has a device in his hand that he's looking at the screen and he, he realizes, oh, wait, I'm not shooting forward. And then he plays with the, the thing and he puts it back and now it's shooting correctly. And the second he does that, Ghostface comes out the front door and kills him. And I was like, what the hell is the whole camera thing about? Because Ghostface wasn't behind him, which I thought was what they were going to do. And then I was like, oh, you know what? That whole sequence was created to create tension. Yeah. And it did so effectively. It doesn't necessarily make sense like rationally, like logically. But it worked to create tension, and I feel like that's a good example of how the rest of the movie, the different kills, the distrust between different characters. The kills are gory in this one, too. Very, we, very we gory. We get some intestines falling out. Which like, is 
Which is cool, but normally you don't have like a really good kill that's gory. Gory usually covers the yeah. fact that it's just someone looking around, no one's in the room. Oh, killer behind the couch or step, whatever. Step, step, step. Which is how I think two and three kind of were. Yeah. This one had some really smart oh, sequences. This one, the characters are like, I hate torture porn. Like they acknowledge like mm-hmm. the trends that had come yeah, out of yeah, it. Yeah. Anthony Anderson's in it. He plays a cop. He has a pretty good kill. He gets stabbed in the head. But then after he gets stabbed in the head, like he's still walking around, but he's all messed yeah, up from bl- it. So holding like, his head in the head, and it, and that's ugh. a great kill. It really is yeah. good, and it's kind of un- uh, kind of unexpected, and uh, it, it's good. It really is is fun. Can I tell you that I saw this in a loud movie theater where people were yelling at the screen, and twice <laughs> right around that sequence, I think Sydney kicks the killer and he falls down. She turns around, and when she looks back, he's gone. Person behind me yells out. Now, how the fuck are you going to get up so fast? (laughs) (laughs) Which I dying. And then at the end of the movie, it's revealed that Emma Roberts and Macaulay Culkin's brother, we'll call him Mini Culkin, they were in cahoots to try to revitalize the Scream slash Stab franchise and make money by being famous killers from that. So to cover her tracks, Emma Roberts stabs herself and injures herself around the house. Which is a great sequence. I think it's, it's funny as hell. It's almost comical, but I was invested enough not to laugh, where she literally like runs face first into a framed picture and then back plants onto a glass, glass table, table. Yeah, rams into a knife on the wall. Like I, I think it was funny. I, it made me laugh. I, and I think it's supposed to, but it almost looks... It almost could be too comical yeah. because of how it's shot, but... Three was comical in that sense. For sure. Yeah, and this one held it down. The woman behind me... Let her thoughts be known by yelling. Now watch, she's going to kill her damn self. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a movie that made it more enjoyable that people were yelling yeah. shitty movie Sunday type shit That's at it. funny. One of my favorite lines from this, and it really is the only rule that she gives, um, Nev Campbell stabs Emma Roberts, pulls in the screen mask, because sure, why not? Oh, yeah. Pulls off the screen mask, she goes, one rule of reboots fuck with the original yeah. and i was like hell yeah yeah i thought that was pretty good hell too. yeah that's good i like that it ends pretty well um you know doesn't really leave much for the future of the franchise but at the same time uh they continued on they made a tv show i know i watched the first 10 minutes of the first episode because someone i know was in it that's all i watched because you know someone who know was in it or worked on it in it Oh, the well. person who worked on it, I didn't like enough to watch the show. Thanks, buddy. Well, you told me that it was not great. Well, okay, so I was the VFX supervisor on the first two seasons. Oh, the VFX seasons. great. Uh, yeah, thanks. They do. Um, I was the VFX supervisor on the first two seasons of Scream. Uh, it's a lot of fun to work on, but a lot has changed. It isn't the mask that was a big deal for the internet. Stupid internet. Oh, the internet did not like that they changed the mask. Um, it had its as own story. As soon as I'm done typing up this letter to Buck Knife Company, <laughs> I am writing MTV. <laughs> Dear MTV, as I sit here by the fire, <laughs> I must inform you of my displeasure <laughs> finding that you are not using the ghost face mask this in your been, upcoming television this show. This has been a rough day for me. <laughs> my dear, full of guts. <laughs> my, my scream, wrong mask. Wrong mask. Incorrect mask. The TV show made the mask part of like a medical deformed face kid who got picked on and then murdered everybody on prom night, dance night thing. I don't know. Whatever. It was its own story. Had interesting characters. The characters are very self-aware. Is this all one season, this story that you're telling? Well, it's, it's two seasons that kind of spread the gap. The first one revealed the first character, but then the second season, like, 
but the killer didn't act alone. And it like played on the idea that Scream always has two killers. So the second season was revealing who the second killer was. Mm -hmm. It was a fun show to work on. It uh, had some great VFX moments. My favorite one is this: the boyfriend, Will. He's the nice guy boyfriend. He gets killed by a trencher, which is basically like a giant chainsaw. He gets cut in half and his nice. mom, mom finds him and it's all like, ah, cut in half, completely severed two halves of his body and they the camera pulls back through it like that. Oh, cool. Like really cool. Emma, who's getting super stressed out, she's the main good girl character. She's getting super stressed out by everything that's happening and she starts like seeing the boyfriend in her dreams and like standing behind her and she turn around and I got to do this bit where his his head was cut in half, but they had kind of pushed him back together. So he had this big line down the middle, but I took the two halves of his head and made them separate slightly whenever you saw him. So he oh, awesome. kind of like the Terminator two when he gets cut in half and the, like the two halves. Mm-hmm. Are, so I got to do that. And like his head would split in half every now and then. And like when he ran, the head would open more. That sounds awesome, Ruby. It's really cool. Yeah. So that one was really fun and did a lot of stabs and bullet holes. That really, that sounds like a really cool effect. That's something that I should see it. That kind of offsets how, Terrible. The killer's voice sounded. I know. Sounded kind of just like you. <laughs> <laughs> that never made the show, but um, it was fun. It was a fun show to work on. Had a really good team, really good people to work with. After the second season, I wanted to go into the third season, but you know, timing. They kept pushing the release date. All that shit that was happening with the Weinstein Company came out and kind of put everything in limbo. And then they said the third one was going to be a complete reboot with a different cast and everything, which I was really bummed about because I think that this story had one more chapter to go and they mm. could have finished what was going to happen. So, but uh, it was fun. It's Is it wor- worth watching? Would you tell, would you you know me. Is it worth me watching? I will give you a couple episodes that you'd be like, okay, here's the thing. If you are a, if you are a teenager and you like horror, this is a good show for your, it, like it's a great teen show. Like it was good mm. for MTV. It's that same sort of Riverdale thing, that same sort of Teen Wolf thing. I see. As an adult, I was a little, you know, like, come on, characters. Right. Quit doing that, characters. Why are you character kids doing Act that Act more stuff? like the characters in Scream 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a good teen show. I don't think you need to watch it. That's not to say that other people don't love it. Like, it's very popular. It has a higher rating than Scream 2, 3, and 4 on IMDb. Mm. I know that that's more fan-based, but we have a huge fan base for a reason. Sure, yeah. And then you just alienated them by saying, let's reboot the third season for no apparent reason. And it's like, well, what about all these characters that you want to find out what happens to them? The end of the second season was left as kind of a cliffhanger. So, I don't know. What if the third season is just a TV show that someone in the fourth season <laughs> is watching? How amazing <laughs> would that be? Oh, got to do a really cool thing. There's a scene where this there's a skeevy teacher who's sleeping with his students. He gets kidnapped by Ghostface and like tortured for days. Fucking gnarly. He gets his hand cut off and then burned with an iron. Well, the hand getting cut off had some issues. They were like, well, we need to reshoot this or something because like the way it lands, fake hands landing on ground is surprisingly a tough thing to do. I know. <laughs> so I was like, let's just do it here. So I put a line on my hand. Uh, we set up a green tarp. Uh, Aaron Fink, who was the AP at the time, and Garrett Phelan, who was uh, one of my VFX guys working with me, we set up a green screen. We just filmed my hand falling on the ground and then on in front of a green screen. And then I put that in the scene and it's my, oh, awesome. my hand getting cut off. It's really cool. Yeah, that was a fun one. The things that that hand has touched. Yeah, my hand's surprisingly in a bunch of things. It's a sexy ass hand. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you expect? Uh, it's in Super 8. My hand has been in some... The movie Super 8? Yeah. Why didn't I know you worked... What did you do at Super 8? I literally did one I night... I was a hand. I did one <laughs> night of pickups where we went to J.J. Abrams' office 
and filmed some pickup shit that he needed. One of them was pick up one of these cubes with your hand and there it was. And there's my feet walking through and like I shook a piece of reflective board to make it look like fire. It was fun. It was really cool. <laughs> my hand's in a lot of weird stuff. Does now. your hand have its own IMDB? I am HandyB. Called HandyB. HandyB. <laughs> <laughs> the Internet Movie Hand Database. I am <laughs> IHDB. That's stupid. We are drilling this joke into the ground. <laughs> Nay! <laughs> what are the parts of you have been in movies? Let's go. Let's do that. Um, well, in Blackish, my shoulder was in there and my hand was part of that. Um, they had a character that needed Your to reach in and pick something. Well, it was for a white character. Oh, you, you digitally changed the color? Typing, phone typing. My hand mm. does that in a couple movies. Uh, my hand was a stand-in for Vinnie Jones in some movie where he had superpowers. Vinnie Jones? Eh, he's a guy in movies. Got hands kind of like these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You got famous hands. My hand got cut off in a, or my arm got cut off in a Criminal Minds episode. Ooh, how about that? I didn't think what else my hand, my, my, my hands have been in other movies and shit, but nothing that But you have seen. like a very niche hand. You're like, we need some guy with freckles and red hair on his arm. This guy. Yeah, I definitely have freckly red, red hair arms, but I don't know if my hands do. <laughs> my hands just look sexy. You don't really know yourself like the back of your hand, do you, Rumi? <laughs> Can I be honest? The back of my hand is not the sexiest part. It's the, the tips of the fingers and the palm itself. Check it out. Ooh. I said that as a joke, but he looked anyway. <laughs> like, I, I, I expected you to make the noise, but I didn't expect you to actually examine my hands. <laughs> you could take your hand off of mine now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the Scream series. Do we need to do a countdown for that? We haven't done a countdown forever. No, let's just fucking end it with creepy hand ogling. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should, but... Um, I mean, I think it basically just goes five, four, three, two. The first one's great. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right, here's our countdown. We haven't done one in a while, Rumi. I know. How do we do this again? All right. Count so, down or we go down or up? We go down. Start at five. <laughs> What's at number five? That's what I'm asking you. Number five is three, right? Yeah. Bleh. Dream three. Bleh. Yeah, that movie sucked. What's at number four? I think we'll put the TV show at number four. Yeah, I think so. I'll trust you. All right. I, I mean, like I said, it, it is what it is, but it's at least something new. It's something different. It creates its new rules. It has some internet things brought into the story arc and, mm -hmm. and the killers, you know, using using the net for some nefarious deeds. So that's pretty cool. On the downside, doesn't have the classic scream mask. On the upside, has a classic roomy hand. Yeah. All right. What's <laughs> at uh, number three? Number three is number two. <laughs> uh, Scream two, not bad. I mean, it's it's exactly what you thought it was going to be. It's be I would say it's better than most movie horror movie sequels, but nothing really to sing about, right? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. What's number two? Number one. <laughs> <laughs> number one is amazing. I mean, number one really is, uh, I would say, a postmodern or a modern classic yeah. horror movie. And, it really is great. And though it took me a minute to get there, like now I really appreciate this movie and I really like watching it. Like at least. Once around Halloween time, I'm like, I gotta, watch, I gotta see some screws. Oh, I do Christmas time. Christmas time was released. No, I really don't, but I should. It's released <laughs> at Christmas time, and it really does feel to you know for me. And I, I didn't say this earlier, but I, it was something I, I thought of or about on the way over here. To me, it is the '90s. Take away like the 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 things about the '90s that the '90s gets made fun of for. You know what I mean? Like the VH1 '90s thing. Yeah, that's what my '90s felt like. I was so excited to see that movie. I loved it so much. I got wrapped up in how cool of a horror movie it was. I had at least two or three um, ghost face costumes. I made a whole mannequin like in high school, six foot tall with the arms out with the knife. It looked, and it was freestanding. You could literally stand it around the house 
It looked fucking awesome. Super cool. How did your parents feel about that? It was one of those things that they were like, well, that's the therapist's problem. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I put that I put that outside on Halloween at the end of like where my driveway is. So where that's where the trick or treaters would come. Then I in another scream mask and in a costume that I stuffed with a sheet and had some of the sheet sticking out sat in a chair next to the door. So when kids came down, they would see the obviously fake one first, and then I would scare them. This little girl that I babysat for that I knew, she was fucking amped on candy, came barrel-assing down my lawn, not even on the driveway. <laughs> she, oh, and I had, a, I had the same thing. I actually had a werewolf on all fours. It didn't look as good, but it was like another mannequin on all fours next to the scream guy. Yeah. She came down, and she jumped in front of the first ghost face and was like, hi, and she waved her hand with a big animated face. Then she jumped in front of the werewolf and she went, hi, and she waved at him. Then she jumped in front of me and went, hi, and I jumped up out of the chair. I went, hi, and I waved my hand. She jumped in the air, and I swear I saw her feet flipping in the air like little flippers as she screamed. And she immediately, like, she was old enough to immediately understand that it was me and it was like she was not afraid, afraid. But when I jumped up and said hi, and her family was fucking dying. It was amazing. I don't remember what that girl's name was. She fucking sneezed blood all over me one day. <laughs> that, was, that was my revenge. She had a bloody nose and I was helping her cleaning up. I was babysitting and she looked right in my face and went, Chew! Blood. It's like, thanks. Now I have chlamydia. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't ask. See, that was just, I was going to say AIDS and I was like, I don't want to make an AIDS joke and I could not think of another bloodborne pathogen so faster than chlamydia. you gave a little girl chlamydia. No, she gave it to me. <laughs> Well, your joke gave it to her, and then yeah, she gave yeah, it to you true. in real life. Yeah, but it scared. I think her name was Allison. It scared the shit out of her. That's yeah. great. So yeah, but scream one no, is number, number two. two. So number one, did we overshoot this? Did we miscount? I know uh, what. Well, no, it's one movie, two movie, three movie, four movie, TV show. What would be number one? Well, I think it's. I think today our own little scream performance, having Roger Jackson come on the show, that's number one for me. Like that. All those Scream movies now, nobody will ever be able to watch one of those movies with me without me being like, okay, this one time. <laughs> okay, okay. Hear, that, hear that voice? Hear that voice? This one time he came on my podcast. Yeah. Number one. I literally thought he was at my front door. I literally <laughs> thought he was in my room looking at me. He knew my dog's name. He knew what shirt I was wearing. It was scary, guys. It was really, really cool. Thank you again to Mr. Jackson. Thanks for coming on the Launchpad podcast. It was great to have you. We will definitely have you back at some point. But it is kind of surreal to talk to someone who he really is a legend. I mean, everyone knows that voice. Even people who don't maybe not are familiar with the movies know the the ghost face's voice. And I think that that audio is just as important as the visual of the costume, the father death well, costume. Like you said, and I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it. Our first introduction is just the voice. Mm-hmm. And when it descends from I'm a little bit creepy to I'm going to kill you like that's amazing. And how cool to hear yeah. Roger do the the, the and explain the, it. The, it oh, it's so amazing. Good. So that's definitely the highlight of this episode, and yep. it's definitely better. I mean, it's it's better than the movies even to to actually have a so talk good. with Ghostface. Well, Rumi, to wrap that up, guys, you can keep up with us on our Instagram, Facebook, and on our Twitter at Launchpad Pod, and on our website at launchpadpod.com. Guys, next week we got a great what have you been watching coming up, and another great episode in the works. So keep your ear to the ground. Keep interacting with us. We love hearing from you guys. It's been great. And until next time, we're the Rocketeers. Remy, let's blast this thing off. Hell yeah, it's been a while since we did this. Rocketeers out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three.